0: Morning, everybody. That is okay. We started this outside thing in June. That was the best first try. That was the best first try. So that's like, I, I'm proud of you guys. You guys have come a really, really long way this summer. I think I can tell you've been working out, um, eating right, you know, taking your vitamins. So that was that was really, really good. Um, before I get started, I want to. Uh, just call everyone's attention to something, the college students are back. Yay! And they wear masks when they come here, so that's that's a good thing. I, I, before I wa- uh, start with the message, I would like to pray, and would you guys join me? Let's just pray for the, the students this, this year because, I mean, in, in case you're, you're new here, there's a pandemic going on around the world, and, uh, and there's been some impact around college campuses. So, would you just join me? We can pray for the students this year, uh, just that God would, would uh, protect them and, and that He would move uh, powerfully. So, Holy Spirit, we just, uh, we acknowledge, God, that You are still active in the world, that God, no matter what's going on, pandemic or not, Lord, that You are still moving and so, God, we pray for this year for the students at Penn State Altoona. God, I pray that you would come mightily on the campus. God, that you would protect them from the virus. God, I pray that you would give them um, just favor in learning this year. God, that even though it would be different, Lord, that you would, that you would move. And so, God, we invite you to come That you would teach the students, God, that they wouldn't just learn facts about the world, but, Lord, they would encounter the God who created it. So, God, we invite you to move among the students, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are. In case you didn't know, let me catch you up. You know, all the, the TV shows that you watch now in series on, like, Netflix... Uh, and stuff like that. They all have uh, the, the first like 60 seconds is like a recap. Have you guys seen that? Like they do this recap, but it's not even like in order. It's sort of like little glimpses of things that they want you to know before you start watching this episode. But uh, in case you didn't know, uh, there is a pandemic going on and we are about to get to the cold season of the year. And so we really felt that, uh, that God was leading us to do something different when it came time to move indoors And so, this fall, beginning September 20th, we're moving into homes, uh, and we're going to collectively, as smaller homes, participate in this gathering. Uh, And so, um, there will be folks inviting you, if they haven't already begun to do so this week, if you were, uh, you know, waiting to see. Uh, This week, we'll begin to have people inviting and and congealing as homes that we're going to meet in. Uh, there are a number of homes already that I'm aware of that have even large numbers of people already uh, put together. So that's an exciting uh, exciting thing that we're going to do. Uh, but I want to back up. So we have three weeks. We have three more times that we're going to do this right here before we change how that works. And I really had this sense that that, that we need to, like, begin to move our hearts and prepare our minds for, for that. And I don't know about you, but have you noticed there's sort of this sense of, like, there's, like, a lethargy, right? Like, we're just barely keeping our head above water. Have you sensed that? Like, just among the people you're around, like, we're sort of keeping our head above water barely. We're just barely breathing. We're just making it, you know? We're just barely getting along. And when you talk to people, I don't know if you've seen this, but, like, People are mostly numb. Have you seen that? Like, have you experienced that maybe even in your own life, that people right now, like you talk to them, and usually they would be vibrant people, but there's sort of this numbness and just lethargy, and it's like, it's exhausting to survive in a pandemic. Have you, have you seen that? And maybe that is your experience now. Like, we're not really interacting with people the normal way that we would, Everybody's weird. It's like, are you shaking hands? I don't know if I'm shaking hands. I'm going to do the elbow thing. We were talking, I'll do the foot thing. You know, (laughs) we can touch feet and we'll pretend like we are shaking hands. You know, just any weird thing to sort of like touch each other, but not, you know what I mean? Uh, And so there's just this sort of like slowness that I feel like is happening. And yet God is doing something in this moment. And so One of the things that that, that I feel like I see all the time, and this is, you know, this is confession time, right? Isn't that what the sermon is supposed to be? Like, preacher gets up and just confesses things to, to everybody else. So, I have a confession to make. I don't believe frequently that the church as we experience it in the world is all that God intended. Anyone else feel that way? Like, there's something missing. That's like how I feel about this. And I mean, if you know me, we've had, maybe we've had conversations about this, but I think when you look at scripture, when you look at the Bible, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you see this like sort of explosive, exciting adventure happening. Don't you? Don't you see this sort of thing like, you know, Paul is going to get beaten up and he's going to get left for dead, but then he gets up and he comes back into town and, you know, and, and people are getting healed and there's this guy who's dangerous and breaks all these chains and rocks and he's demonized and Jesus casts out the demon and then this guy is like sitting in his right mind. Like, do you see that? Like, as you read scripture, it's like this vibrant, exciting thing that happens and this adventure that we're on with God And then I look around in our society, and what do we see labeled as church? Well, right now in a pandemic, we see a lot of buildings that nobody's using. It says church. This must be a church. That in a lot of places, what church ends up looking like is row after row after row of people watching one or two people exercise their gifts. Have you seen that? I mean, you're doing it right now, whether you know it or not, not to, like, call you out or anything, but that's what's happening right now. All the people at home are sitting on their couches in their pajamas. I mean, you guys got dressed, and I thank you for that. I appreciate it. It makes this a much better experience for me. Um, I don't know about you, but, like, do you see that there's sort of a disparity about what we see in Scripture versus what we experience in the world, and I think the fact that we're in the midst of a pandemic just accentuates that, right? Like, there's just sort of like, I'm just surviving as a Christian. I haven't lost my faith yet. There's just this sense of like, nothing is really uh, too exciting. We're just barely making it. And, and now, when we're in the midst of this, this pandemic, I see people just sort of going, well, everything is on hold. Have you said that? Have you seen people say that? I've said that. Well, this is COVID has really messed everything up. Right? I mean, the fact that you all are sitting here wearing masks tells you that something is off. And 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 there's like things just feel off. And we have this idea that maybe like, well, we'll just put on hold and we're just gonna wait for a vaccine, and this is what we have to do. But here's the deal. I believe that even in a pandemic, God desires the church to be this community that is vibrantly alive and changing things in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, here's what I realized. I don't think God was surprised by COVID. I don't think God was like, oh, didn't see that coming. That was a plot twist. I don't think that that anywhere in, in the God of the Bible that we would see that he's like, well, COVID is there, so the kingdom is going to have to pause and we're going to have to stop. The kingdom is not advancing now until, you know, Johnson & Johnson can come out with a, a one-dose vaccine. Like, this is not, th- these are things God has not said, right? That, that Jesus, although in Scripture says, I will draw all men to myself, well, you know, COVID, I'm just going to sort of like, you know, people are kind of on their own until we till we can all get back together. And there's this like this thing where God has not doing what God does and yet in so many ministry ways and in so many of the churches we're sort of like well, I guess we just wait till things can go back to normal. Have you seen that? Look with me at John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can take it out. If you have your phone, you know, you can take it out too. We're going to look at John chapter 5. And there's a story that we're going to read that really sets up what I want to talk about today. I'll give you just a second. Some of your phones start talking to you. John chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 1, and here's what we read. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Kind of like this place, you know, Portico. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. That's a really key piece of information. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. If you want to understand why this is such a controversial thing that Jesus did, you have to understand the Jewish perspective of the Sabbath. If you know your Old Testament, if you dig all the way back to Exodus 20, there's the Ten Commandments and Uh, In Exodus 20, God chooses the Israelites as his people, and he says, to be part of this covenant, here's the the ways that you you demonstrate that you're my covenant people. One of the things that he says in verse 8 of Exodus 20, you don't have to turn there, says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This was a command. Keep the Sabbath day holy. And strict Jewish observance to this command was paramount. This is not like optional. It's not like most of us do and go, "Well, you know, Sabbath is sort of like it's one of the things that really serious Christians do. This is like, this is what we do." And, and so it was so important that failure to keep the Sabbath at times resulted in death. If you willfully did not keep the Sabbath, there's passages in the Old Testament where you were stoned to death. It was critical so important that, it, that the Jewish leaders built a list of rules in order to make sure we didn't even get close to breaking that. There were, uh, th- in fact, 39 categories of activity that were forbidden in order to make sure someone didn't accidentally work on the Sabbath. There were 39 different categories of work. For example, let me give you an example of what these are like. You ready for this? Climbing a tree on the Sabbath was forbidden. Any tree climbers? Anybody like to try and climb trees? A few people, yeah, a couple. Here's why it was not okay, because you might accidentally tear off a branch and be guilty of reaping on the Sabbath, because tearing off a branch was reaping, and that's work. You can't climb a tree. So many rules that they built around not breaking the Sabbath. And Many of them just as ridiculous, right? Don't climb a tree because you might be guilty of reaping, you know. Don't filter water because if you filter water, that's work. You're separating things. So even though you can't drink the water, don't filter it to make it drinkable. That's work. So as you can see, like, hello, that works. I might be a little bit too hot. That might be part of the problem. Um, But keeping the Sabbath in a Jewish context is a big deal. It's a really, really big deal, which is one of the reasons that Jesus keeps ticking off the Jewish leaders, because over and over and over, if you read through, what you find is that Jesus heals on the Sabbath, over and over and over, and the Jewish leaders are like, you are undermining the very thing that makes us God's people. All the time, the Jewish leaders are so honked off by Jesus. Every time he turn around, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. The guy that he says, you know, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Nobody says anything to him. Stretch out your hand. The guy, has, his hand is healed. If you read the Gospels, you'll see it over and over. And it's not that Jesus doesn't think the Sabbath is important. But Jesus understood something. Is this distracting? Is it horrible, distracting? It's like distracting me. Okay. It's not that Jesus didn't think it was important, but what Jesus understood was something that he said in Mark 2. He says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In Jesus' perspective, the Sabbath is a gift, not an obligation. It's a gift. How many of you could use more time off? Anybody? How many of you, you you find yourselves at the end of a week going, I'm exhausted, and I really wish, yeah, lots of people, right? It's a gift. And as a side note, if you don't presently take a day each week and intentionally unplug and be present to God and rest, can I just encourage you to do that? It will make all the difference in your life. I guarantee it. Try it for a year, come back. If it didn't make a difference in your life... I'll give you your money back, I promise. But Jesus knew that the institution of the Sabbath was to serve human beings, that human beings were not supposed to serve the institution. So when Jesus comes across a man who's been ill for 38 years, it really doesn't matter what day it is, Jesus is going to heal the guy. But the effect that this had on Jewish leaders was enormous. Here's a person who proposes to teach the Word of God and openly defies what we've made so sacred. Never mind the fact that he's healing people and working on the Sabbath. And what's more, he told the guy he heals to carry his mat, which is work, He's undermining everything that makes us Jewish people. And so the Jewish leaders begin to persecute Jesus. But here's what Jesus says in response. And we're going to camp on this for the rest of the time. Here's what Jesus says in response. Verse 17, he's, in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is a powerful response. And Jesus doesn't stop there. We're not going to read it today, but if you read the rest of John 5, he goes on this long exposition, basically defending what he just said. And one of the... I want to make... Three observations from this response that I think are really important to us as we move forward towards church and homes in this fall. Number one, the first thing that I want, that I want to, uh, to point out is Jesus claims to be God. You know, one of the things, if you talk to people about Jesus, which I would, if you haven't done it, you should do it. It's kind of fun. Uh, it's also a biblical thing. Um, but when you talk to people, <laughs> right, When you talk to people about Jesus, there are all kinds of crazy beliefs that people have about Jesus. Like some of them are, are, you know, biblical beliefs. And then you get these really wacky, off-the-wall interpretations. And it's really fun to hear how people have arrived at that. But one of the most common things I hear people say is that Jesus is not God and he never claimed to be. But right here in this response, Jesus tells the Jewish leaders that his Father, saying, I and the Father are the same, his Father is always at work and he is always working. Now, before Jesus, nobody would have dared to call God Father. We don't understand how revolutionary that is, but when Jesus shows up on the scene, nobody thought to refer to God as their father. That's blasphemy. In fact, so far do they want, you know, I mean, here's the Jewish leaders, right? Let's build, like, rules to keep us further away from from things. The Jewish people wouldn't even refer to God by name. The reason all through Matthew the kingdom of God gets referred to as the kingdom of heaven is that Jewish people would refer to the place God was for fear of we don't want to. We don't want to say the kingdom of God because that might be taking the Lord's name in vain. So they refer to the kingdom of. They, they built ways to not even refer to God by name. And here comes Jesus, and he says, "God is my Father." That's blasphemy. The Jewish people, it would be like nails on a chalkboard. And if you read on past this, Jesus continues to expand this truth. Now, some people might say, well, you know, he doesn't explicitly say, you know, he is God here. Maybe he was just referring to God in another way, you know, in the way Christians do. You know, just the, my father, it's a, it's a nice thing. But here's the thing. He doesn't use those words, but the response that the Jews have when he says my father is to kill him. And he goes on to explain, and in this explanation, he could have gone, well, hold on, you guys misunderstood. I was just, you know, I'm a God is like, you know, he's like, he's like a heavenly father to me. It's really, you know, it's sort of this thing, this term that I use, but he doesn't try to back off of it. He says, you don't believe me? He says, In verse 19, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. He doubles down on it. The response is, okay, we're going to kill you. This is the response. So if Jesus was like, oh, no, 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 you misunderstand. I'm not actually God. I'm not claiming to be. He would have backed off instead of doubling down on it. But that's important to us. What difference does it make that Jesus claims to be God? What difference does that make? You see, if Jesus was just a man, if Jesus was just a great moral teacher, he was just a prophet, and and he, he was just a really good guy, he was a spiritual guru, his death on the cross would have been just a sad day, a tragic end to a very weird life. It would make no difference to us, we would all be stuck in our sin and condemned to hell if Jesus is just a great moral teacher or just a man. But because Jesus is fully God and fully man, his sacrificial death on the cross is payment for our sinfulness, that we can trust in that and that it makes a difference for you and for me that I no longer have to live in sin any longer. I'm set free because now I have a relationship with God my Father because He paid the price that I was due to pay. It makes a difference whether or not Jesus is God. I know a lot of, there are a lot of uh, denominational things where people, I mean, I have friends who, who are like, you know, I'm in this particular denomination and the only, we're Christian, but the only thing we just, you know, Jesus is not God. We don't really believe that to be true. And if you believe that, then it's a waste of your time. Because the only way that you are set free from your sinfulness is if God Himself came as a man in Jesus and died on your behalf. Otherwise, you're still stuck in sinfulness. It matters that Jesus is God. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, the offer is on the table for you and for me to be made new. It makes a difference. So the first observation is Jesus is God. The second observation I want to make from his response is, God is always at work. God is always at work. Jesus responds by saying, my father is sometimes, you know, most Saturdays at work. No, he says, my father is always, always at work. There's never a time that my father is not at work. I want you to take in the magnitude of that statement. I mean, think about it. God is always, always at work. Right here, right now, God is at work. Whether you can see Him or sense Him or not, He is at work. In the neighborhood that surrounds us right now, God is at work. For those of you at home, in the house next door to you, in the apartment across the hall, God is at work. In the workplace that you work in that feels like a disaster and feels like it's like in the pit of hell, God is at work, that there's no place that God is not at work. Whether you're awake or you're sleeping, God is at work. Whether you're happy or you're sad, God is at work. Whether you feel close to God or you feel far from God, God is at work. Whether circumstances look great or circumstances look bleak, God is at work. Always. Whether you're in a pandemic or everything is normal, God is at work. Like the song says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Have you thought about what it means that God is always at work? Friends, this is, this is a truth that's so filled with hope. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. The same God that is always at work and who made a way for you to have relationship with your Father, that God is working all things all the time to the good of those who are in relationship with Him. Do you know that? Do you know that in your life today? That God is working all things, not just the good things, not just some of the things that He happens to see on a Tuesday. That God is working all things to the good of those who love Him. For those of you in a relationship with Jesus, You can trust that God who is always at work is working all things to your good. When things are great, you can thank God because things are amazing. And thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me. And when things are terrible, you can say, thank you, God, that you are shaping me into the image of Jesus. All things. God is always at work for the good of those who love him. One of the twisted beliefs that, that many of us have is that everything depends on us. Any overfunctioners here? Anybody believe everything in the world depends on you? Cool. Like three of you and the rest of you, we'll pray for you later. There's so many of us, and I think this is probably part of the reason many of us don't take a Sabbath, right? Because we think, I don't know what will happen in the world if I take 24 hours off. It will just collapse Don't you know I am the linchpin that keeps the world spinning? You know, it would just be a cataclysmic, horrible experience if I take any time off. We believe that we are so important. We live with this hugely inflated idea and sense of what our role in the world is and in the kingdom is. We think our place is so critical. Like if, you know, the movie marquees. And, and here's how we, here's how we believe. The, the movie is called The Kingdom, and then right below that, there's Jesus and you, right? Granted, your name is just a little bit smaller. You know, Jesus is like 100-point font. You're like 95-point, because clearly Jesus has a bigger role, but you laugh, and you would never say that's true, but do we live our lives that way? That somehow we believe that the whole of the kingdom, the whole of the world depends on us showing up and playing our role? How many, things, how many times have we done something and afterward, and this is just me saying the things that I've done, so my hand stays up for all of these. How many times have you done something and afterward been like, man, I should have prayed about that. <laughs> really should have invited God into that. Or, or how many times have you constantly worried about something? Any worriers? How many times have you constantly worried about something and you never thought to invite the God of the universe into it, you just worried about it, like your worrying is somehow going to change everything, like you are, you're a grade A, high-class worrier, like your worry actually accomplished something? Or how many times do we find ourselves turning to prayer only after we've exhausted all available resources? Is that you or is that just me? where we feel like our effort is the thing that's going to make the difference, and only after that doesn't really yield the result that we want, then we invite God into it. Anybody else do that? We think our part is so large, but it's God who is always at work. The way the marquee actually reads, it says the kingdom, and right below that is Jesus And your name and my name aren't even on the marquee. Like we play a bit part in this grand narrative that God is writing that Jesus stars in. Do you get that? That should bring you hope and a little bit of relief for those of us that feel like we have to do it all. Having just said that, I'm going to finish with this third observation. There's always, always an invitation into adventure with Jesus. Our part is not large, but because God is always at work and He loves to invite His people into what He's doing, there's always an invitation for you and me to participate in what God is up to. I mean, that's true everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, God is already there. Isn't that a comforting thought? Like, you ever walk into, like, you're getting ready for, like, a job interview, or you're going to work, and you got this hard conversation you got to have, and you're like, God, I need you to go ahead and be there. I need you to show up in this moment. He's already there. It doesn't matter where you You walk into Walmart, God is already at work. Everywhere you go, God is there and is moving, and it's the role of every follower of Jesus as Paul says, to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Every step we take, we're going, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this moment? What are you doing in this place? And when he shows you, you get to participate. You know, it's really hard to think about, like, evangelism and, like, you know, words of knowledge and prophetic stuff, it's really hard to think about going into a place and manufacturing that stuff, isn't it? Like, it's a lot of pressure if you're like, well, you got to go share a prophetic word with somebody, share what God is doing. It's really hard if you think, man, I have to go create something. Anybody ever lay hands on somebody and feel all this expectation that they have to get well or else you've done God wrong? You ever have that feeling? I'm going to pray for this. And what happens if God doesn't do it? The pressure is off if you say, God, what are you doing? And you look around and you see what He's up to, and then you just go do that. Maybe it looks like when you're in the grocery store, He prompts you to pay for someone else's groceries. Maybe this is the way that you, this is what God is doing. Or maybe when you're at Sheets, He gives you a word of encouragement for the cashier that everybody who blows by that cashier and doesn't say a word and They say, you know, do you have a Sheets car, and they put it up, and and they don't ever say a word to them, and they check out, and there's never a word, and this person is never seen, and maybe God says, I want you to go tell that person that I see them, that I'm proud of them. Isn't that a lot easier than feeling like you have to manufacture something? You just walk in, and you say, you know what, I'm weird, like sometimes God says things to me, and I feel like He wants me to tell you that He sees you, that your work does not go unnoticed. Maybe you pass a homeless person and you humanize them by asking their story. I mean, it's not a big thing. It's not like you have to buy them a house and put them up and get them a job. Maybe the thing that you do is you say, I see you. Tell me your story. How did, how did you get here? Tell me what's, what, what you're, what's going, gone on in your life. Maybe when you're dealing with your coworkers, God would invite you to pray for them. Instead of going to the water cooler and talking about them, maybe he would invite you to pray for them there's limitless possibility of the ways God, who is always at work, will invite you into what He's doing. Limitless possibility. All, the only limit is, will we ask Him what He's up to? One of the things I've heard so frequently, I've even said it myself, is that, well, COVID has put everything on hold. Well, you know, COVID's messed everything up, God is not surprised by COVID. We were having conversations with Evan uh, this past week. Monday, he texted us and was like, well, it looks like they're not going to let us on campus this year. Like at all. Looks like they're just not going to let us on campus. And I think there's like this, well, okay, well, <laughs> well, we pay you to be a campus minister and that's sort of your job role. What are you going to do? Sorry, Evan, I love you. I'm not bagging on you, I promise. Uh, He's at home. Everybody's like, where's Evan? I don't see him. But like, there's this thought, and the the thing is, is this is not a surprise to God. He's not stunned that we can't go on campus to do campus ministry this year. He's not surprised. And so our role is to say, okay, God, you still intend for college students to know you you still intend for students to fall in love with Jesus. How are you doing that now? Maybe that's the place that we need to be in. You had grand hopes. You had high hopes for the way that you were going to do ministry with those around you. You had high hopes for how you were going to share your faith with your neighbor. And you had high hopes for what you were going to, you know, how you were going to pray for people. And you were going to go to this event that was really going to be great for you. And all of that has stopped. And yet God is still at work. And He invites you into what He's doing. Do we have the faith to say, God, what are you doing? I want to join you. God's not surprised by this. What you might discover is that as we move church into homes is that God is already at work there and is going to do way more than we could ask or imagine. I mean, that's in the Bible somewhere, right? That God will do way more than we could ever ask or imagine. What if God wanted to use your home that you meet in over the next few months to reach the friends and neighbors that you have who would never come to this? What if that's what God's up to? What if that coworker that you go to work with all the time that you've really sort of been nervous, you're like, "Ah, I was going to invite him to church, but he really doesn't seem like cool, but he would come over to your house for breakfast. What if that's what God's up to? And what if we had the courage to say, God, I want to participate in what you're doing. Friends, God is always at work. And he loves to invite us into what he's doing. You were made to be on an adventure with Jesus.